It's hard to be healthy when you don't get breakfast. It's hard to recover from open heart surgery without heat. It's hard to get well when you sleep on the street. It's hard to take care of a baby with untreated depression. Health goes beyond the hospital. At Providence St. Joseph Health, we believe health is a human right. See what we are doing to advocate for the vulnerable and invest in health for all at future.psjhealth.org. Managing Richard podcast. Um, it's uh, Thanksgiving week here in the United States, so November 25th. Um, this is your host, Gabe Lesra. I'm joined by Keon Sobani and Omar Vin. Keon, not the best week <laughs> for Real Madrid. Um, they got dominated by uh, Ibar, Abar over the weekend, and um, there's essentially nothing good to take out of this game. Um, no, there's not. And, you know, like, not even, like, something to take away and kind of just hold on to and grasp onto for dear life and just in hopes that we can pull something away from this. But really, there was nothing. And I think you could argue it was the worst performance of the season. I think, um, you know, obviously the Classico sticks out. The one, the one in Alaves, also, like, our XG was at, like, an astronomically low level. There's nothing happening offensively. Abelardo shot us down completely. Yet even still, this was on another level because in the Classico, facing a better team, and there was like 30 minutes where we actually looked competent. In this game, there was like really nothing. Apart from, I think to start the game, there was a few good runs in behind from Bale and and, and Asensio, and Bale scored that offside goal, which was brilliant. But then you look at it like, wow, this was really offside. Um, but then, but then from there on in, it was it was really there was really nothing, and I think Real Madrid somehow regressed as the game went on, and and Mendilibar's team just got stronger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a you know another Solari formation with Isco sitting with, um, I mean, sort of this 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 formation that he's been starting out with, with Ceballos kind of taking on a prominent role. I actually didn't think Ceballos had a terrible game. Um, I think just when the team plays terribly, the midfield looks particularly bad. I don't know um, if um, if you think that's like where, where like what you think about um, sort of the performance. Um, well, I think. The biggest issue was Solari's tactics in this game. Um, I, I definitely am not a fan of Ceballos at playing at single pivot defensive midfield. Um, I thought he had a poor game defensively, even though he was our best player on the ball. Certainly, I don't think you can pin it all on him because when the tactics are bad and we, we don't have any idea how to get out of this very good Ibar press, everyone's going to be affected. But I think... I, I just don't think Ceballos is suited 
it's the defensive midfield role, and I don't think I'm the only one who who thinks this. Um, as if if you look at the goal, which was really the most prominent occasion, but there were many occasions like this where we were trying to defend against a transition, the counter press or whatever really wasn't there. Um, we know that Solari has has never really prioritized that too much. Um, Abar getting behind us. Um, kind of everyone isn't tracking their man as well as they should be, but Savaios just kind of completely loses his guy and he scores. And I don't really blame Savaios for that. A lot of the things he had to do because Abar were playing very, very direct into the channels and they were forcing our midfield and our defense to try to win 50-50 duels. It's just not Savaios' game. You want someone who's more of a traditional defensive midfielder who is very, very used to handling these kind of transition situations, who who is a little bit more physical and capable in those situations. Because Ceballos certainly doesn't lack energy. He certainly doesn't lack intent. What he does lack is that defensive experience, that defensive skill. And I think uh, Marcos Llorente would have been a better choice. Um, but it, it feels like this is the third consecutive coach now that doesn't really seem to trust Marcos Llorente for whatever reason. Now, Solari's only been there for five games. Maybe there's some other issue and Llorente will, will come out and play. But... Um, yeah, I'm 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 a little bit lost as to why to why we're not turning to him when when Casemiro's out, especially in a situation like this. I will say about Ceballos the the goal can the goal can see the first one. There, you look at it, it, to me that encompassed everything that was wrong with the scheme because you have Ceballos miss hit a shot. I believe it was off of a set piece, and there were seven Real Madrid players in the opposition box at that moment. And it was like shades of like things that happened against Tottenham last season against Las Palmas, where there was like five, sometimes six players waiting for a cross. The cross doesn't get in or the player doesn't get to it. And it takes one or two passes to cut through Real Madrid in transition. It made no sense because you're also not in a position to counter press when you're flooding the box like that. So Ceballos mishits it. I think to his credit, he works tremendously hard to get back. Like he sprints, he's sprinting to get back. He essentially has mm-hmm. two options by the time he gets there. And one is to close the near post run. I forget who it was. and Or Escalante at the far post. And I think he should have probably went to the near hopes and hoped that Asensio gets the Escalante at the far post. But Asensio's not even close to it. And like kind of as the game unfolds, you see Ceballos in these positions where he's trying to calculate like, okay, this player is open, this player is open, this player is open. He gambles on one of them, and it's probably never going to be the right choice by default because you're going to get sliced open right. regardless. And I think those were the situations where it's like it's not his game, first of all. And second of all, not only is, not his, is it not his game, you're also putting him in positions that are just not going to help, help him succeed. That was the issue. I think, I think what, that, are, what is Solari doing playing this player, making Ceballos make these game-saving decisions? Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen Casemiro make this particular decision. I mean, for all his faults, time after time, he makes the right gamble, right? Like, mm-hmm. he'll, get, he'll be the only person getting back in Madrid's defense, and he'll make the right gamble and find exactly the right niche of space to be in to intercept a pass. And it's just... You know, to to expect an attacking midfielder like Ceballos to to kind of step into and make these correct decisions time after time, like it's just it just seems madness to me. I, I just and it wasn't it wasn't just decisions. If you just want to look at tackles, like the most basic defensive stat, um, he attempted four. Only two did he actually make contact with the ball, which would be defined as a successful tackle, and only one of those. 
um, quote unquote successful tackles did he act, did he actually win possession? Um, it's just it's just not his game. I mean, I there was a lot like 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 Keon said. It's not like Sabas wasn't trying hard. That's not the issue. It's more of just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It just it just wasn't the right decision. And um, sadly, it was it wasn't the worst decision Solari made. I think his overall tactics were a much greater problem. And I mean, it, it just, it just wasn't very good. It was very, very hard for me to watch this and, and take away many positives from this game. Really. I had to look back at the fact that Solari had won the last four, um, with, with a pretty strong overall goal difference to, to, to give me some positives coming away from this one. Well, what were I mean? If you're gonna bring up positives, what what are the positives out of this well, match? Well, I I mean I'm I'm, t- I'm talking about positives in like an overall sense in the fact that um that the fact that somehow this team kind of immediately stabilized following Lopetegui's departure and that we got back to winning ways and that it seemed like some of the players were coming into their own. Um, so I guess if you want to look at this from an optimistic perspective, which is what I'm trying to do right now, you look at this result as more of an aberration and look at the other four games and say, well, Benzema is really good. This game is not really reflective of that. Modric had just kind of, it looked kind of like a renaissance versus Celta. This is not reflective of where his level is now. And look, anyone looking at it, at, at it that way may be correct. This isn't the greatest sample size, right? Like, if I wasn't ready to give Solari all the credit after four wins, I sure as hell can't say that he's an abject failure after one loss. But the this was a very, very bad performance. And like Keon said, you can argue that this is the worst performance we've had this season. And there was just... We look, we look, we lacked organization on both sides of the ball, and it just, it just, it just wasn't very good from anyone tactically. And then we also, on top of that, had some very poor player performances. I think if you like, if you really zoom out, look at the season, regardless if it's Lopetegui or Solari, I really think that this, there is definitely a lot of things to be worried about, regardless. And like, if you can look at those four games under Solari, the first four games, um, and then maybe say this one is an aberration. Fine, but I think, but I think there's a lot. Like if you zoom out and you look at the whole team this season, I think you can just easily just say that there's probably more room for concern than there is for optimism. And I think with Solari, I'm not really. None of us really know how this is going to pan out. I think we'd all kind of agree that we're all expecting some kind of doom by the end of it, by the end of the season once it's finished. Um, and and that takes a lot because I think the three of us are generally optimists. But I would say that yeah. Um, we kind of got also enamored in the first three games or so, four games or so, with this idea of, oh, actually playing players in their correct position. And, you know, against Salta, I was like, oh, Audrey Zola, right back, Regulon, left back, and not and not Lucas Vasquez, right back, etc. Um, but then we also remember, like, when we were analyzing Solaria Castilla, when we were previewing his tenure at Real Madrid with the A-team, doing the videos about him and and um, doing the podcasts about him, one of the biggest things was his fascination with reinventing players and 99% of them going horribly wrong. And I wonder if the Ceballos defensive midfielder thing is could be one of them, and I, I hope not. But I also do wonder if Marcos Llorente is not going to make the squad, then it's either you put Kroos there, where if you put him in the same, the same schematic issues will arise anyway. But, but also... 
I also curious like what, what happened to Fede Valverde? Like this guy, we have we have players who can play that position. It, I don't know if it's <laughs> completely necessary to to put Ceballos back there. He's he's a box to box player. Um, is like his most defensive, the most defensive label you can give him. You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know if this is something sustainable. <laughs> I think part of the problem is like, yeah, we are generally, and we have been generally optimists, right? Um, but I, I just think that part of the reason we've been optimists is that you look at the, you know, you look at the squad and you think this is a very, very high end squad. It still is. Um, but you also, I think Madrid had always looked at their coach and thought, this is the guy, um, this is one of the people that can get the best out of the squad and, you know, who can, who can maneuver this, you know, combination of egos and talents and, and make it work. Zidane, obviously. And I think the Lopetegui experiment was still an experiment really in its nascent stages when he was fired. And, you know, I I think that we all had a higher esteem for Lopetegui's ability, technical abilities as a coach and tactical abilities than we do for Solari. So when something goes wrong with Solari, like we were talking already about, oh, Solari might have the same Zidane, like black magic or whatever. But like the fact is that this guy, I mean, when something goes wrong, we're a lot more willing to think that this is actually a problem. Whereas with Zidane, it was like, oh, something goes wrong. You know, maybe this is just, it's, it's not really a him problem. Maybe this is just an isolated incident. I think we were quick. I at least was definitely quicker to give him the benefit of the doubt. But right now, this is just kind of reinforcing my belief that Solari was or is not a super high-end coach and not really the right choice for Real Madrid. And, you know, it's just not, it's not, I mean, there are deeper, there are deep issues also with the squad. I think we've, we've seen that over the course of the year generally, but I also don't think that this, that, that he is the answer here either. And perhaps I'm being, I'm just trying to have my, my own opinions reinforced too quickly. I mean, I get that that's possible. Look, I, I mean, I, I don't know if, I don't think really anyone knows, right? how this is going to pan out long-term. I mean, I'm not backtracking on my opinion that I, th- I think Solari's appointment was perhaps ill-advised. I'm not that confident about it, but I think in regards to this specific game, I think if you look at all the tactical choices carefully, I don't think there's any argument that at least this one game had a lot to do with Solari's poor choices. So we already discussed Ceballos, but if you want to look at the grander scheme of things, Solari also made a series of mistakes. So... um. It makes sense in a way that Solari kind of went with the same tactical scheme that won him his first four games. And a lot of that was um, really kind of traditional wing play, wing play, right? We saw Bale on the left, Fasquez on the right. It, it was a little different um, versus versus Abar with um, Asensio on the left and Bale on the right. But they were still kind of playing the same roles, um, staying high, staying very wide. And the objective... I think in in the A bar game was to replicate that really kind of high tempo flank to flank passing, get it down the wing and and throw crosses into the blocks. Um, no no emphasis on deliberation and possession like we had versus Lopetegui. Solari has a different style, and 
he, he kind of, I think, looked to bring that in pretty much exactly except for a couple of personnel changes for in the A-Bar game, and it just didn't work at all, mainly because A-Bar was the first team in the Solari era, at least, to press us. And they pressed us high, and they pressed us very well. They pressed us in a 4-4-2. They'd look, the two strikers, you know, would look to shift the ball to one flank, kind of box play in. And if we tried to switch play to the free center back, um, one of the wingers would step up and the entire team would shift over very nicely. And so they had all of our options covered. So if you think about how we'd want to break through that pressure or how Real Madrid traditionally does that, we have our wingers coming deep. We have Benzema getting involved. And there's a lot of short passing and, and fluid movement to get us through that. For all of Zidane's faults, even though he overloaded deep areas too much and pushed Casemiro out of the way, Zidane always had a very clear plan about how we were going to deal with presses. And to him, he didn't mind if there wasn't that much occupation higher up and in the center of the pitch. He would throw players extremely deep and we'd work our way out. Now, I think you can argue there's a more organized way to do that. But Solari went, went to the other extreme. Asensio and Bale were always stationed high up the pitch. And this created a disconnect with our midfield line and attack. So we just had no way to break out of the press and everyone was losing possession. And then really the only organized pattern of play that I could see from that game was Marcelo taking the ball and lumping it down the flank for Asensio to go and chase. And it was always Asensio was facing two defenders. So even when we were trying to go direct, our wingers didn't have support when we were running up the field. And just to kind of emphasize the lack of cohesion in the offensive line, Asensio, Benzema, and Bale all together were offside 10 times, which is a whopping amount. It, it just, yeah. we were all over the place offensively. We had no way to get out of the press. And Solari's tactics seemed kind of antithetical to, to all press resistance strategies that I've observed. Even if you wanted to go direct, which kind of seemed like what we were trying to do, we didn't do it correctly. And that, that to me, which just looking at that was very worrying because it was the first time we've, we faced a pressing team and we didn't pass the test at all. Now, obviously, Solari could go forward and adjust what he's doing and make corrections. But from, from this specific game, it wasn't great at all. The offside thing also, I think Benzema was 7 of those 10, which was, I believe, a, 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 for sure a Real Madrid record in one game. I don't know if it was a La Liga record, but it was some kind of record. And that, but the offside thing to me was also frustrating, not only because, well, it's just frustrating being offside all the time, but there was space on the counter. Even when Real Madrid weren't playing well, there was, and, and Abar were pressing high, especially like the front four of of Abar. So, you, you know, with Kike, Sergio Enrique, Oriana, um, and and I guess Cucurella was the other one, those four in particular. And then you had Jordan and Escalante down the middle. But the front four really pressed high and, and made it difficult for Ceballos to find outlets and Modric and Cruz really weren't, when they got the ball, like they were just denied space. And as Om said, the disconnect. But you would look at the space and when the ball went there, Bale, Asensio and Benzema had all this space to work with. But it was offside every time. And that was frustrating because there was actually space there if they could have figured out how to get there. I, I agree. I think this is a huge issue just like because Real Madrid is is virtually has been known over the years as one of the most press resistant teams like Marcelo and, and Isco and Cruz. And these guys have been masters at just kind of been a, being able to move their way up the pitch and with some elite vertical passing, some great dribbling sequences. To me, this was also kind of like a similar problem to what happened in Sevilla because 
Machin and Mendilibar both were able to prevent the buildup. And in, in Seville, the biggest difference was it was Cruz playing deep and not being able to find outlets. And in this case, it was Ceballos and, and mostly Ceballos, but also Modric and Cruz whenever they dropped deep. I think if, if that's the way, because, you know, it, it, it's funny because the question was, and I mentioned this on Twitter, the question under Lopetegui was all season was how is he going to break, break these low blocks and basically create chances. And then he went through that huge goal drought facing a bunch of teams who would just put together these barricades and be able to sh- sh- shift kick quickly when the ball was switched and and plug holes. And in this game, the question was more about how can we enter Abar's half? Like, that's how difficult the buildup was. And, you know, I saw I saw a couple of extreme takes. One was, well, where was Bale, where was Asensio? And, and then the other extreme was, well, it's not their fault. It was the build-up's fault. The truth is it's all a cohesive effort. It's a holistic approach. They need to be dropping deeper. If there's a huge disconnect, then there's no way that Real Madrid can move the ball up the pitch. I, sorry, Gabe. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no go ahead. Dude. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really ask this question before because I, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I couldn't see any discernible change at halftime. I, I mean, I don't know if none, you guys no adjustments, were, none. Right. So there. That's what I don't understand, right? Like, it's to me, in my mind, in my perspective, at least, it's very easy to forgive a manager if his initial plan goes wrong, right? There's so many factors to consider. It, it's not an easy thing to develop a tactical scheme, especially when you're going away from home, trying to judge how a team can play, and you often get it wrong. Um, but if there's something we saw with Zidane, and even even with Lopetegui a little bit, it's that if something was going wrong, there were some discernible changes. Now, whether the changes were right or wrong, that's debatable, but there was a recognition that there was a problem and there was an attempt to fix it. I... Again, I'm not in Solari's head. I'm not in the dressing room, so I cannot be 150% sure about what I'm saying here. But from the observable details on the pitch, I did not get the sense that Solari saw there was anything wrong in what we were doing. We just kind of did the exact same thing we did in the first half, and we conceded two more goals. And then Abar sat off a little bit. Carvajal came on and gave us something more. I mean, even then, we didn't really create that much more chances, but we had more time in the final third. And that... That, to me, is concerning. Again, only one game, but the fact that there didn't seem to even be a recognition of the problem is is something that I think should be worrying to everyone. So when you say there was no adjustments, I can feel Sam Sharp's rage through the radio waves because <laughs> this was his complaint. Every single match report was you know, the, the lack of reaction to something that was happening on the pitch. And from what I've seen in Castillo for about three years now, well, two, the third year that he's been in charge, I haven't watched as much as Sam, but I've watched at least two or three games a month, I think. It's the same. It's just, it's, it is, a, there's, once he has made up his mind about something, that's what, he, that's what he's going to go with. Um, whether it's Sergio Diaz as a left winger or something else. And and, that, and now that you kind of think back to the, I'm I'm wondering how how he thinks that the build up issues will be rectified if a team presses us high, which trust me, it's coming, and I'm sure it's going to happen a lot by the it's end of the season. It's the style of modern football. That's what yeah. the modern game sure. is. It's it's a it, it, this 
this notion that it was some shock that right. the teams would come out and press Madrid high up the pitch is insane. This is what the modern game is. I mean, I, I just and Abar has uh, Abar has done this a lot in the past. By the way, this is not just a one-time thing. They're known for being a very good four-four-two pressing side. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and Castilla and Slar never were really that beautiful build-up kind of team, and that's what worries me because there was always this lack of offensive identity which we really still didn't know and and for the umpteenth time when we watched Guti Guti's juvenile A there was a clear clear identity and game plan where Solar you after three years you never really felt that so I do wonder how he's gonna how this is gonna pan out and um forgive me for yeah I mean the mark of a the mark of a good coach is in addition to creating tactical plans that work from the beginning um that isn't by definition, the only thing, or squad selection, or 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 what, or man motivation. It's also being able to see in game how the other team is set up and make your you know quit like see it, analyze it, process it, and make you know decisions and reactions. And it's something that Zidane was actually very good at. That. I actually yeah, also was. think Lovategi was quite good at. Um, we saw a number of games with Real Madrid where his he may have missed or, or taken a big swing and, and missed out on his initial scheme where Madrid would come out very much better in the second half. And I just, I can't say that about Solari. I've never seen a game where his team has looked better after a poor first half in, in the second half. I just, this is just emblematic as as, you know, and I've heard it. I, I, all, I mean, obviously, Kian, you've even you've watched more than of Castilla than I have, and even I knew that this was sort of emblematic of Solari's game. Yeah, I and I, I just want to quickly just mention it's not entirely on topic, but it is kind of uh, because the the Solari contract thing that people were really up in arms about. I would just say that. A long-term contract doesn't mean a long-term job. To me, it's it's just a vote of confidence. That's all. Yeah. I just thought I'd mention that because I thought a lot of people were upset. Like, why give him a long-term contract? Why not till the end of the year? That stuff is kind of just yeah, semantics. Yeah, but had a long-term contract, so yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah. con- apparent, like, the manager contracts can just be, um, you know, they almost always include a performance clause, so if the team sucks, you can fire them, and... That's the way it goes. I mean, sometimes apparently managers sign contracts that include clauses that say you can't manage another team for a while. Like, I'm pretty sure that's part of what was going on with Conte, (laughs) Um, which means I'm pretty sure that the manager has pretty bad representation because you really shouldn't do that if you're um, opposing parties, including a performance clause, right? Because if they can fire you because they think you're not doing a, like, you know, performing your team isn't getting the results, then you should be allowed and you should negotiate to be able to go to a team and prove the wrong. But uh, generally, you can just sort of fire people. So it's it's a vote of confidence. It's also required by league rules, right? You can't have an interim coach for longer than um, a certain period of time. Uh, and uh, so giving him a contract, I mean, they could have given him one till the end of the year, but then what do... You know, what do you tell your players? Like, how how can you tell your players listen to this guy when he is only under contract until the end of the year? I mean, I don't know. I I get yeah. the contract. That that's like one of the least objectionable things that's yeah. going on. Um, 
so I, I, I think that the ohm you mentioned, um, I think one of the th- big things people are pointing out about this match is that I think Bale and Asensio sort of, you know, the kind of the, the narrative developing and the offense was that they weren't really stepping up. Do you think that's a fair characterization? I mean, it seemed to me like you were saying that this was a larger problem. So I, I definitely think that the primary problem was tactical in this game, but I'm not about to let um, the players off the hook, especially Bale. I think Asensio was a little better than people give him, gave him credit for because um, he was the one that really created pretty much all our danger. Benzema was involved that one time. That one shot he had that was cleared near the line was really the only real chance we had. I mean, we had nine shots that game, and that was the only chance. Even if you look at the XG, that was the only chance of, yeah. of any relevance. Asensio was kind of involved, even if he didn't create shots in some kind of danger. I don't think he played particularly well or anything, but Bale, Bale and Odriozola actually, um, I'll talk about Odriozola after, but Bale, one of the poorest games I've ever seen in a real shirt. I, I, I defend Bale a lot. I think people are generally very, very unfair on him. Can't defend him versus Abar. Um, he had 58% passing accuracy. He lost the ball four times off of bad touches alone. Just there were many times where I where I thought, yeah, our press resistance strategy is bad, but Bale has the ball in this area and we can break through and we just need one chance and then he just gives the ball away yeah. just off a off a really bad touch. And it was really uncharacteristic of him. Um I think everyone has days like this, but Bale's kind of had a poor stretch of form now and I mean the pressure on him is only gonna mount. And then as for Odria Zola I don't think he was nearly as bad as Bale in that sense, but I thought his first touch against the press was was really quite suspect. Obviously, he was dispossessed by Kukurea on the goal, but before that, I just got the sense that he just didn't look nearly as comfortable as, for example, someone like Marcelo. I mean, Marcelo is a really high standard, but yeah. it, just gave, it gave such a high contrast. I think Odriozola as well is good at a lot of things, but um, I mean, I don't know. You maybe maybe Kian or you could tell me how he's performed against presses previously but in this game his first touch was it just always felt a little off and he was always scrambling after he received the ball to figure out what he was going to do and I thought that's where we look vulnerable in the defensive line when we were being pressed yeah yeah, Kian that was always my sense is that this is one of the areas that he needed to work on I mean he was I don't think any of us thought he was a, a like a finished starting product when he came to Real Madrid and this is one of the areas I'm pretty sure that we had mentioned that his his he had a lot of good aspects but being a high like ball playing uh right back was like wasn't one of them like he was no even Carvajal on that level well I think um with him like a lot of his I think his his biggest issues with Sociedad was probably more on the defensive side where like individually he may not be the best defender but he makes up for it in terms of like getting back into position quickly putting that last ditch tackle because of his speed I think he's good enough in tight spaces I think also like the problem in this game was a bit deeper I think there was some kind of weird bad energy just kind of unfolding and and had a domino effect as the game went on because even let's go back to Bale for a second because I thought Bale started off really promising. Like, he looked confident because that first offside goal he scored just, like, for the pure finish alone. It was like, okay, this might be a Bale game because he looks up for it because the finish was incredible. Um, he had the free kick, forces a save, and then he had a couple nice passes on a counterattack, and then he had that mistouch 
from the Asensio pass that Ohm mentioned. And then it kind of just got worse and worse for him. And then he just became a ghost in the second half. And then with Odriozola, I think it was just probably just frustrating for him to kind of over and over again look up and have nothing to play to play at. And then and then that probably gets in your head and you start mis miscontrolling the ball. And on that particular yeah. one that the goal by the way, I'm not excusing this. I'm I'm generally agreeing with you guys. I think he just was not up for it in, in that game. I think the giveaway itself was shocking. And but then you look at like the dominoes and the problems of it. It, it goes back even further. It was mm-hmm. Real Madrid mm-hmm. trying to switch the play, get out of the press. Kroos switches it to Odriozola, who like if you ask me, it it wasn't the it wasn't a perfectly weighted ball. Like Odriozola has to come to meet it, it bounces like in front of him, mm-hmm. and then Odriozola makes a complete mess out of it. I I think just like there were just a bunch of things that maybe were in the players' heads at that point. And they were just and this these silly mistakes. I don't know what it is. I really can't explain it. It's like there were a lot of things we couldn't explain last year, but now we kind of maybe we took it for granted because a lot of it actually just worked anyway um, mm-hmm. in Europe at least, and not, maybe not in La Liga. But this year it seems like all those things. It's like it really feels. Gabe, you just watched Space Jam. What happened when? <laughs> what happens when those aliens come in the basketball court? And Patrick Ewing's trying to shoot the free throw, and the the thing comes and he sucks the power yeah, away. That's true. That's throws happen, the right? ball There's out of bounds. Somewhere, somewhere, Mordrich is playing in a Looney Tune world, right? Like I think. Yeah. Well, look, I I I'm not. I'm just going to take this opportunity because I think we should address it. And if you want to talk about bad energy, I mean, the uh, the story about um, Sergio Ramos and uh, the the kind of issues with. Uh, potential um, uh, Madrid doping issues sort of surfaced around the time the game of the game. I don't think it's a insane thing to say there is some connection between a general sort of bad vibe in the team and those stories. Um, I have a lot to say about those that and um, anyone who follows me probably knows that already, but I don't think it's an insane connection to draw just you know, knowing that 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 kind of story was out there and floating around on top of the other stuff that was going on about the team, it probably just it, adds to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I don't think it's like the factor, but um, yeah, I don't think no, it. No, no. Ta- I, I don't think it takes much to to like go down a bit and then just kind of have all these factors weighing on you and then just kind of because. Let's be honest, the energy for most of this season has been bad. I think these four games kind of gave us a little bit of a lift, but I don't think by any means we'd kind of um we'd kind of thrown the demons off our back. There's there's a lot of uncertainty about the season from the top to the fans and it this kind of nervous energy is hard to get rid of. Um I mean, I don't think yeah. that's any I don't think any of us are trying to excuse anything. We're just trying to say that there's multiple factors involved. Oh yeah. And there there are some certain intangibles that we just don't know. And despite all of this, Real Madrid are only 6 points back. I mean, this is one of the worst seasons I can remember. And yet it's Madrid are actually arguably more in it this year than they were at the same time last year. They are. Oh, we definitely. Oh, we were out. We were fucking out of it last year. And I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like a 2006-07 season might be loading up if we're if we're yeah. very lucky. 
But like this is a crazy Rodriguez. If we get oh six oh seven as our ceiling, I will run away with it and I will etch it into like the history books as like most unthinkable outcome of all time. Shout out oh two oh three, another possible season. um, I think it's a comp for this, where Real Madrid versus that amazing Real Sociedad team was, um, and and Barcelona. Um, was was a really interesting season. People should go look back at that. I remember very vividly waiting till the last couple match days as teams like fought every for every point, um, and it was like not a traditional team that was really fighting with it. So, and but, I think the Sevilla this year could be could be that a lot like them. Oh six oh seven though it was it was fun. This is not fun. It was. This is not fun. This is not fun. Well, you know, I think it's fair to say it wasn't particularly fun at the beginning of that season also, though. If I remember correctly, I mean, Madrid was down for a lot. I mean, Madrid was went into the Clasico and got a draw against that um, a strong Barcelona team in the Camp Nou. And the, the energy was so bad that season that Madrid came out of that Clasico down only five points in, like, what, April? And... Uh, at that, that Madrid basically felt like that was a win, and that buoyed them to come back and 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 win the title. But like, that was—I mean, that was not a good beginning of that season either. So, I guess it it really is the biggest mystery to me is, or I guess biggest question is, how far removed are we from that Champions League win last season? How <laughs> how distant was that? Like how how unrecoverable is that form? Well, see, the thing is, and I, I think this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I, I think that Champions League win kind of covered up a lot of issues we had that season. That wasn't a good season. It even I don't think that's unpopular, at least not among po- these group of podcasts. All right, so maybe, maybe it's not unpopular. I, I don't know. I know people are, are very defensive of um, Zidane and his record, and for good reason. He's all-time great manager, gave us things that no other manager has given us. But I even that Champions League run itself, to me, was not on par with the 2015-16 and 16-17 run. Like, no, sure, sure, we had Black Magic, whatever you want to say, but I really felt that those first two campaigns was our quality. And obviously, the 17-18 one was our quality as well. But I felt it was a lot more reliant on these wild luck moments. Like, we scored two goals, both in the semifinals and finals, of goalkeepers just giving us the ball one the one Bayern Munich didn't have Neuer in goal the guy missed like a pass with his leg and Benzema taps it All right. and Carius throws it off Benzema's leg like, like sure I think I think at the end of the day I'm not going to say we don't deserve it that's football you t- take your chances as they come but if you look at that season as a whole how bad our league season was how kind of shaky our Champions League campaign was there were some issues there I don't think it's unrectifiable but Zidane left for a reason, and and he was kind yeah. of vague about what he said. But Zidane knew there were some underlying issues, and he kind of sat back and said, "I don't know if I can take this team any higher than what I've taken them. I think it's time for me to step back." And he did say something about a different type of coach, blah blah blah, being needed. So, I, how far removed are we? I I would I wouldn't actually say that we're that far removed from last season's form. We just kind of lack. Zidane's leadership and we we lack someone like Ronaldo to come in and you know kind of deliver in moments where where we don't look so good that I think I know as simplified as it sounds 
I think that's a huge part of it. Like if when you ask how how far removed, like we may just be removed because th- those two, to me right now, Real Madrid just don't have that leader. I, and I know it's really like this kind of, it's this intangible thing, but and I but I will go to my deathbed with this that Ronaldo's biggest thing was not just his goals, was his his mentality on the pitch, his pick me up, pick the team up attitude, because Juve have instantly just have it now or seem to have it, and uh, and like Bonucci has talked about this, like you know how Ronaldo he's, he's first born in training and you know he gives us all inspiration, he gives us belief, and Zidane is just the most one of the most respected figures in the club. Like I just think those are two such personalities to lose. It's tough to recover from. And it's not like you're going from Zidane to let's say Sari. Right now you're Zidane to Solari, which is a huge gap to me. Massive. I mean it's not even I mean the 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 gap from Zidane to Lopetegi was a wildly different coach. And then to go from from Zidane to Lovatiki to Solari and this quick succession is, is is it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow um, and I think that the players are showing it a little bit um, that I, I unless you guys have more to say about the the game we've we've been talking for a while I think there's other Real Madrid related Real Madrid and Real Madrid related news that I wanted to touch on this show before we um, went on to two questions. Um, I don't know if, uh, but if you guys have more to talk to, to to say that you wanted to in your notes um, to bring up, then let's let's go ahead and and continue. I'm good. I don't I don't have anything more to say about the game. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, okay. So you heard me mention earlier. I think it's worth just a quick mention on the show in a little more depth. Um, the Der Spiegel EIC European Investigative Consortium leaks included some information about, I think, particularly a couple of weird incidents involving Sergio Ramos and some uh, uh, doping tests. Uh, The actual full story, in my opinion, um, as someone who has actually interacted with people who have, um, you know, done legal work, (laughs) is that this is comparatively extremely minor um, and I would imagine that similar incidents to these occur actually very frequently in the world of international sports. I'm not saying that they're 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 good or that that's something that that we should aspire to. But essentially, what 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 the the, the document shows that Ramos, um, the Real Madrid doctor, disclosed um, a that Re, that Ramos was being injected and treated with a. Uh, uh, anti-inflammatory drug that's on the list of drugs that you need to inform UEFA about, uh, WADA, World Anti-Doping Agency, about if you're using them, but otherwise aren't prohibited as long as you inf- inform them. They were informed, but it was a variant of the drug and wasn't the actual drug he was using. Um, it's a, it is, guys, it's a minor one. And the other one is... And it was actually corrected post hoc by Real Madrid. And that's why WADA and UEFA didn't open an investigative case about this. I, I really, I actually feel really strongly. I don't think this is a thing. Um, and, and I actually don't think there's really any argument that it would be a thing, considering that if Madrid hadn't disclosed that he was 
like there's it's a it's literally a difference in in which one of the s- substances they told Wada he was on. So if they hadn't said anything, then it would have been, in my view, a much bigger thing. But the fact that they disclosed that he was on a essentially the same substance is really just a clerical error, and that's not something to freak out about. I think the bigger issues are with whether Real Madrid. I think as an institution respects anti-doping protocols and perhaps the way that they should. And that's mm-hmm. revealed by two of the related matters, which involve like the doping guys going to Ramos after a Malaga, Madrid match against Malaga and saying, you have to take a doping test now. And him saying, I want to shower first and them saying no. And then him essentially doing it anyways, even though he, as he said, and as the, the, the email shows, the dude was with him the whole time, which means that's pretty strange. I mean, if you think about it, but I guess in the context of sports, it's not <laughs> as strange to have like a dude with you while you're showering. But like he was showered with some guy <laughs> and then took the doping test. Uh, and the other one is like there was an unscheduled doping test at Real Madrid facilities where someone tried to take draw blood from Ronaldo. They kept missing his veins, which is like how he's super veiny. I don't really understand that. I feel like any good nurse should be able to take blood from Ronaldo. But anyways, he missed his veins a few times. Ronaldo complained. The Real Madrid doctors came in and drew blood. Again, it's more to me about process. And I think Madrid needs to be conscious conscious about how people are going to see these types of violations and what the headline like violations of what how people are going to see these types of relationship to the process and 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 the headlines that can be drawn out of this stuff um and i would be the first person to say if i thought there was a like a a a substantive issue here that these emails reveal but if anything it's i think the substance here is that madrid needs to take Every every single letter of the anti-doping law seriously, and not uh, kind of be a little as cavalier as it seemed like perhaps the team was about. For example, like how stupid is the doctor for not getting the me- the medicine right on Sergio Ramos post Champions League final, like you know pre Champions League final report? You got to get the medicine right. Like it's not that complicated. It's the same essentially the same substance just write the right it's like saying i'm giving you benadryl when you're actually giving them like some analog of benadryl it's it's like what are you doing like i'm giving you advil and not ibuprofen like don't don't be insane so just get it right and that's sort of my takeaway from this i think i don't know uh if you guys what you guys thought i don't have much to add but oh my yeah i mean i that was kind of the takeaway I had. I mean, I have my own opinion on like on whether teams dope or not, and um, oh, that's I, not I, what I, I was talking about. Right? Like, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I think everything you said is correct. I think most top teams or all top teams dope anyway, but not that. I don't think these documents revealed that. What I think, like what I what I think, like you said, is is a cavalier disregard for the rules, and I don't think Real Madrid should just kind of pay attention to it for appearance but also because i think just from my point of view it is important to respect anti-doping laws and for for because they have a purpose but yeah i mean it's it's a non-story i think in kind of the way der spiegel is trying to frame it 
But I think Real Madrid should really look at this and, and, and realize that, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe we should be a lot more careful and have a little more respect for doping. And just because everything the doping officials did, whether it annoyed someone like Ronaldo or not, everything they're doing, they had the right to do, right? Just because Ronaldo is annoyed because he perceives that he's the one always being targeted. I mean, that Ronaldo said this about this. The press is always attacking him. Everyone's kind of attacking him. This is just his mindset. That doesn't mean Real Madrid doctors can come yeah. and just over the process. But it's not... It's not the biggest story, I think, in the way that Dear Spiegel wants it to be. Yeah, there's no positive doping test here. And that's, I think, the way that they had kind of pitched it and the way they wrote their story was it would have been a big bombshell if there was a positive test, but there's not a positive test here. And that is the subs, what I meant by substance. Now, that being said, I agree, dude. I, don't, I think that essentially every... So I covered a... Um, uh, uh, a thing where Graham Hunter, who was the uh, who co- covered Barcelona for ESPN and a couple of their organizations, went on Irish radio and literally just said, uh, "Xavi used HGH," and I reported it because I heard it and I put it online. I ended up issuing a retraction because he reached out to me and said, "You should have asked me for comment, and I would have clarified." That it wasn't HGH. Now, is was that the right thing? And this is a part of the story that I think I've mentioned before. I don't. I'm not proud of how I handled that. I was a 19 year old reporting what I thought was a big scoop, and that people had missed. And then I got freaked out because someone who is like twice my age was freaking out and, you know telling me that I was ruining his career and everyone's career by reporting this thing that he had said. And uh, I'm still a little annoyed at myself for even issuing a a retraction at all on that. But um, I should have, I think it's correct journalistic protocol to say we're publishing this story, but that like, regardless, like I, that was something that, you know, I think is very common back then. And, and what I think, uh, actually he meant and i actually don't think Xavi was using hgh because i think that again i do actually think wada does a pretty good job with this but Xavi was pretty clearly using something called plat platelet rich enhancement therapy so pcp therapy um platelet it doesn't matter basically you take someone's blood that has been through a uh uh uh, you know one of those um things that, that oxygenates it and injects it back into you and, and, and a couple of other things into your knee to make it re- recover faster. Not illegal underwater rules. Pretty sure that's what he was talking about. Didn't get a chance to talk about that. He said HGH. So, but it, it wouldn't have shocked me, but again, so I, I just, I actually do think that there are a lot of like stretching the limits here and i think that all of the top clubs are going to be guilty of some amount of that and real madrid as part of this group of top clubs that use high-end scientists should be conscious and follow these protocols not just because you know it looks terrible when (laughs) this story comes out but also because like you know there's a reason that we prohibit doping it's because it's mainly because it's an unfair competitive advantage but also because it's not actually great for people human beings and we don't want to force people to take drugs to be at the the correct level to to compete with people and that's what we mean by competitive advantage more than this other stuff that's my end that's the end of my spiel on this (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that, man. Um, all right. Oh, um, I don't know if there's anything else, but we can jump into questions if you'd like. Otherwise, uh, we we can go to questions. All right. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. <laughs> it was great. I always uh, enjoy those epic Gabe Lesnar rants. <laughs> um. All right. So as as always with um with our show, if you toss us um three dollars uh, a month on our Patreon, patreon.com slash managerdrid, you get access to our patron shows. Um they're weekly to more than weekly shows where we do more least it only for the people that give us money. Three dollars a month gives you access to that. If you give us five dollars a month, you get every month we guarantee that we'll answer a question that you have. Um you know that that means we'll we'll read the question that you gave us and we'll give you an answer. Um, Ten dollars and you are automatically entered into um, our giveaways, which we have more of, which are awesome, and we've had a number of them. Um, but uh, in particular, we've just been really incredibly blessed to have um, one of our patrons essentially give us these awesome prizes that we've been raffling off um to our ten dollar plus patrons um in particular they are signed Sergio Ramos jerseys so they're really cool and so if you do that then you're gonna get in in on those raffles and, and on those drawings every month. So um yeah that's that's sort of where we are. We're gonna read our and answer our guaranteed patron questions now um if we have time we'll go into some of our non-guaranteed questions um all right so our patron adrian rios says um what are your thoughts on brahim diaz i follow city pretty closely and he looks like a young david silva a great talent but would he make it in the squad next season or do you think he would have to loan we would have to loan him out i think the brahim diaz thing it's I haven't seen a legitimate report about it from a reputable source. However, I think what kind of added fuel to this is that Guardiola came out and said, "We will do. I will do everything I can in my control to keep him, which was like all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is the thing you're actually even having to talk about. Yeah. But I think his issue now is that Brahim Diaz is just not playing. He's, And I mean, granted, he's 19. He has plenty of time, but he hasn't appeared in the Premier League this season. Um, is behind Mares and Bernardo Silva, and David Silva for that matter. And um, he reportedly just misses Spain, and he wants to. He just wants to play. I don't think his problems magically disappear if he goes to Real Madrid, other than he's closer to home again. But um, I guess at some point you have to. And it's it's an ins- it would be an insane amount of young talent at that exact same position that we'd have. And I like him. I don't know how reputable the sources are reporting this, but I think there's something possibly brewing in that he's not he's not entirely happy at City. Oh yeah, I mean I, you, I don't have you rate too, him. I mean I don't really know that much about him, so I'm not gonna try to like pretend I mean I know he's talented. But that's about it. To what extent the specifics, I don't know. So I'm not going to pretend that I do. But I, I would agree with Kieran that I, I, I don't know if Real Madrid are actually going after him. And if they are, I don't know how much sense it would really make to sign someone like this when we have like 30,000 other guys who play in similar positions. I mean, we've all kind of forgotten about Martin Odegaard, but I think he's still a teenager. I think he's like 19 now. Um, he's going to have to, if we want to... Um, 
integrate him into the squad, he's going to have to start making it into this team soon. And he'd kind of play in a similar position. So, yeah, I mean, I maybe we go and get him. Who knows? But I, I, I don't think it's that likely. Odegaard had a great game this today. Um, by the way, apparently I haven't caught up on it yet, but everyone's like, you need to go and watch the Odegaard game, so I have to go and do that at some point. But yeah, he's still he's doing good things in Holland still. Um, Just an FYI, because we always F- hear that he's a I, failed prospect. What a failure! Yeah, um, big failure, big flop. <laughs> uh, he, um, I, I really. I still think that he's he's a very high end prospect and and Madrid. But like that being said, like it, it, I think that loading up on high end prospects is sort of a uh, is is generally a good transfer policy. So um, everything that I've seen, I mean, the way that City are responding to this is pretty wild. So it it makes me think that there's something to these rumors in that. You like you said, Keon, the fact that Guardiola came out and denied them, that's a big step. And the fact that this is being reported across England, like it's not like not like so there's some reports, oh, he's already signed a deal or whatever, which, you know, whatever. Those reports are always crazy. But you know, the fact that everyone across the spectrum is reporting that there are talks here and that City has come out and had to fight against them, to me, it is indicative that this is um this is a this is the real deal in terms of Madrid being interested in him. I don't know much more about him because, as you said, he hasn't played as much. So, um, so Kevin Redmond asks us. Um, he talks a little bit about Liverpool. Um, he says, um, uh, <laughs> "Every day Liverpool does something stupid that reminds me how thankful I am that Madrid won last year and every major trophy we have won recently." Um, uh, and he mentions uh, Dejan Lovren acting like he's from Cesco Barresi and Sergio Ramos is Dejan Lovren. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, I, I can understand the bitterness a week after the match, but this was seven months ago. Can you guys remember a team this continuously salty in recent years? So, so besides Barcelona fans, I think... <laughs> and Barcelona I mean, like, players. <laughs> um, yeah. Besides, besides, besides Xavi complaining about the grass or whatever, um, I think Liverpool fans take the cake and Liverpool players. I mean, thinking back, maybe Manchester United um, after Nani got sent off, which I think oh, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess I can see the, the point of view of United fans. Right, he gets sent off, and you know, they they argue that's what led to to us going through, which I think, yeah, I think that definitely played a role for sure. Us playing against Senmen. Um, I heard about that from all my Manchester United friends for the entire year. Um, not until Roundry got knocked out and by, by Dortmund, and then it was all justice has been served, blah, blah, blah. And then they got even more mad when Sir Alex Ferguson retired because they were like, you know, imagine if Sir Alex Ferguson had won the Champions League in his last year and the referee stole it from us, blah, blah, blah. But it kind of died down after that season. I mean, it was this is this is kind of ridiculous. I kind of feel like we're going to be hearing about this for like forever until like Salah and, and Lovren and all these guys leave Liverpool. I just feel like we're just going to be hearing about this for a long time. Juve, 
after that Lucas Vasquez penalty last season. But oh yeah, how did oh, I forget? Yeah, how the fuck did Sorry. I forget that? Barcelona Why? after that Lucas Vasquez penalty last year. <laughs> how did I forget the event? that was a nightmare? It was a Robo del Siglo. Remember that? <laughs> and the and the funny thing was, at least the Manchester United fans would have had a point. Liverpool fans don't really have a point, but like when you're that when you're biased towards your team, I can kind of see it. Juventus fans had no point at all. And, yeah. like, there was just this eruption. The only... I forgot who it was you had on your podcast, Keon, but I think that was the only Juventus fan Adam across the, Yeah, that looked, that looked at the thing objectively. Every other Juve fan was just furious. I even got blocked by Juventus accounts I didn't even know before just because I was a Real Madrid fan. Like, it was... It was insane, and it blew over quickly because Ronaldo went to them. I have a feeling if that didn't happen, they'd still be bitching about it. To me, like Liverpool, still complaining about this stuff is—it's like real life football Twitter, but like real. The banter is just real life now. That's all this is. I guess I don't even know where what's the what separates it anymore. It's like there's no. (laughs) It's a. It's the the line is gone. Especially when you have people like Lovren talking about it, like there really is no line, right? Like he could take a random person off Twitter and put him in Liverpool's central defense and he would probably perform better than Lovren does. So like there just really is no line at all when we have someone of Lovren's talent coming out and trying to talk shit to Sergio Ramos, one of the greatest defenders of all time. But but I, I at this point, it's just funny to me. Um, that's like, what... I, I'm not even mad anymore because when it's like Lovren, it's like, yeah, like, I can't even take this seriously. I mean, that's what Xavi was, except for he was good. So, like, like Xavi was basically the, in like, existence of, like, banter personified on the pitch, except for you couldn't, like, fight with him as much as you can with, or joke about him like you could with Lovren because he was actually, like, really good at the sport. So he would come out and be like, well, the only reason we lost is because... You know, they infected us with a virus that made us suck today. And like you'd be like you'd have to be like, oh, okay. Um, well, you know, you're just being you're you know, you can't even be like you suck, right? Like it's like because you don't <laughs> like you're actually really good at the sport. So it's like just shut up. <laughs> um I don't know. I there's so many teams that are still salty about stuff and it's just all rivalry stuff so i mean i think that what kevin is saying and specifically is that outside of a rivalry context actually this is one of the worst i can remember like i i think there's a lot of rivalry related ones like like you know barca and atletico that yeah i think are worse in terms of just long-term beef and dumb salty bullshit but like in terms of a non-rivalry thing, like Madrid historically has a rivalry with Liverpool in that they're a good team in Europe, but like they're not Barca or Atletico. So why are you still talking about this? I mean, yikes. Um, Sajid Reyes asks uh, I would like to know where all our direct football merchants are at after watching this performance. Um, is this really what people want? It's shameful uh, that we need to be playing in such a manner given the quality of players we had. And I'm getting seriously fed up with Solari's nonsense with freezing out Isco. Does he expect him to just come out and rescue us with three goals down after leaving him out in the cold? There's a whole explanation about this stuff, um, about this argument here. And 
Um, I know this is a pet peeve for some of you that we don't always go into the extent of this, but um, we're trying to answer your questions and not read your explanation for the questions. Trust us when we say that we have read and considered what you're saying, and so we will now respond. <laughs> um, Can I make a plea to everybody? Enough with the I told you so's. I, I, every, after every loss, someone who, <laughs> let's say, and this is like big, big one with Isco, but it goes down with every player who people hate or love. Isco plays, Real Madrid lose, I told you so, Isco sucks. Isco doesn't play, Real Madrid lose, I told you so, uh, Isco is the reason um, we win anything. It just, if we play possession-based football and we win, Possession is the way to go. If we play possession and we lose, possession needs to be dropped. It's really not that black. Nothing is black and white. Everything needs to be looked at way more holistically. Everything. like it's See, see Keon, it's a, there's a big problem here, and it's if you ask people to Google that, I'm not sure what would be left of Real Madrid fandom. You're, you're asking... It would be You're us three. Our... Us three would be yeah, left. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I don't think I can even give myself that. Give myself that much credit. I think we as well. Like our entire fan base just erased when you put down these rules. Like this is this is what we read <laughs> off of Kian. Just, just these narratives. You know, our, our 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 one of our good friends who who, who follows you on Facebook, Kian, who's always just going hard about Hamas Rodriguez the entire oh, time. Um, it without this, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Madridismo in the fan base exists. This is how we survive, especially in times like this. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, East Coast rules. So I, I, I get the complaints about him not not playing more regularly. I think. Um, well, I think if you look at this particular game. Um, Real Madrid really had nothing going down the middle. And I think, like, if you go down Saji's explanation, he goes on to also bring up the diamond and how that kind of changed the 16-17 season, and it did. And, I, I all, again, I, I, all, I think a lot of the issues right now are, as they were in La Liga last season, and it feels like we've been saying this for a long time now, there are a lot of schematic, systemic issues, more than personnel issues. I think, like, for example, Ceballos has been one of our most um, efficient players in the final third this season. But he wasn't anywhere near the final third in this game. You know, and I, and I think, like, if you if you kind of play him in position and maybe secure the defense, bring some stability a bit, Ceballos does those incisive things, and Isco can continue to kind of ease back into the team after a surgery. I just think there's a lot more to it. Yeah, is Isco a great offensive player? Of course he is. I, I just I just think there are things to consider that are beyond the player's control. And I think like Isco, as talented as he is, I think if you just kind of put him in a team without direction like we've seen, that also is not going to guarantee you results. I, I agree. But I do believe that Isco would have given us something if he had played instead of Asensio. Um, because I, the reason Solari isn't... Right, that that that's the reason, right? The reason Solari is not playing Isco is because Isco naturally comes deeper and naturally looks to create a closer connection with his midfield counterparts. What Solari wants, as far as I've seen with Real Madrid, is he wants his wingers very high and he wants them wide. He doesn't want them dropping deep and connecting. He wants them high up the pitch to aid quick, fast, high-tempo football with these kind of 
long passes across the ground to Mikresa play. And even if you kind of try to instruct Isco to hold with and stay up high, eventually he's going to come deep, break formation, and, and make things a little more fluid, which is what you want against a high press, but it's not how Solari envisions his team, at least at the moment. So that's why he didn't play him. And I think... I mean, I, I think Asensio could have done that himself, right? Like, I think he could have done that. But sure. Isco, Isco is one of our most press-resistant players. And um, I think Isco from the left would would have made things a lot better. How much, I don't know. But I think it would have made things better. Um, but it's, it is it is very representative of how Solari sees the game and how he wants Real Madrid to play at the moment. And unless, Isco is, unless he's going to play Isco in midfield, which is not going to happen much when all of Modric, Kroos, Casemiro are fake. Um, I kind of expect to see this more unless Solari takes this game as a big wake-up or whatever and decides to change his style the next time we, we, we face a high-pressing team. And silence. <laughs> no, no, I I mean... There's, I, there's just... There's a lot here, and I think it's just rehashing the same sort of discussion we've had so many times on this show um, and that we've had continuously in private and that I think a lot of Real Madrid fans have whenever they watch the team play is, you know, what, what, how do you fix the problems here? And I just, you know, in this, in this case, you know, there's going to be an answer in different everyone's going to have a different kind of solution to this problem. And every time that one of the solutions works and the other one doesn't, people, like, people are going to talk about why their solution is the right one. And, I mean, the, I, I mean, I, I, I remember the diamond. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that the diamond was the right answer. But in 16, 17, I think a lot of us got very lucky. I think one thing that is certainly true about this match was that they're unlike in the last few, I think, you know, seasons there, there really wasn't a lot of bad luck for Real Madrid in this match. And I think that's one of the things that really is different. And that's why we're reacting this sort of the way we are, is that if you look at the underlying statistics and the eye test, it all lines up with, with the result. And there were just so many games over the last year and a half that just didn't, where Madrid did seem to be the better side and didn't win and that's just absolutely not what happened <laughs> against Apar. Uh And I think that's sort of why we're rehashing some of this stuff. Well, I think it's just that this this idea that direct football is the answer or possession-based football is the answer. It doesn't work like that. And that's, that's my point mm-hmm. is that what yeah. does direct football actually mean? What does possession-based football actually mean? Does possession-based football mean passing it endlessly without aim? No. Does direct football mean you can just do three vertical passes and score? No. Like, it's so complicated. It's what the opposition throws at you. It's um, how you use your possession. It's, you know, what is your definition of direct football? Is it getting it to the flanks and crossing it? Is it incisive movement between the lines and vertical passing? Like, it's just it's just so much more than that. And to, to, to tell me, like, you know, you're against direct football doesn't make sense if you're against... It just... There's so much more to it. And... I think with all the problems that Lopetegui had, it's like I think we never really saw that juego de posición that we thought we were going to see, like to its full, full implemented uh, capability, where it was we didn't really see all the efficiency. It doesn't mean that possession-based football is bad. It just means that 
Lopetegui didn't make it efficient for us. Um, yeah. If Solari can't make a few vertical passes work, it doesn't mean that direct football is out the window. It just, it's not about I told you so's and where are all the people who want a direct football now. It's just more complicated than that. Someone's My alarm going off? The fire alarm, yeah. Is this I'm Ohm's? Mute myself. Um, this is Gabe. Oh, it's Gabe. Because it, hap- oh, it happened to Ohm once, I think. Guys, for, for, a second, for a second, I thought this was from my side because it's always from my side, but for the first fucking time, it's not. <laughs> Didn't you have to leave your building in a podcast once, Ohm? Dude, every fire alarm, we have to leave the building. Yeah, but it happened during a podcast once, I remember. Right, and I forgot to fucking switch off the microphone. Yeah, I think you just left. You're like, ah, you just ran away. And then the podcast. So you guys recording. were just sitting there as it just like it's just yeah, that's cool. So yeah, very just sheer chaos right now. And this is when I think we should remind everyone to um support us on Patreon and yeah. uh, give us give us money so that we can afford batteries for our smoke detectors. <laughs> So that I don't burn to death. <laughs> Here we go again. All right. I'm going to. All right. This is now off. But I was saying, um, uh, Kian, you should answer Mimo's um, question. Okay. Um, next patron question is from Oluwapa Mimo Oladunjoy. Um, and he says, hey, guys, just so you all know, I started writing this up before the game ended. I stopped watching it because I'm just tired and no manager can change this. The players just don't care anymore. They don't care. This game literally strengthens my comments in recent weeks, which is why on earth is Bale and are Bale and Asensio starting? They don't deserve to play a minute. Um, and then also, Oluwap uh, Amimo goes on to talk about Ceballos not being an anchor, playing time for Marco Llorente, um, and other things. I think the Bale and Asensio starting thing, I do wonder if there's a point where a message needs to be sent. Like, just... Well, I don't know who starts. I don't know if... I mean, I agree, but uh, Lucas Vasquez started the last two games. Yeah. Or, like, I think maybe Bale, Bale could maybe. do could do with a bit of time on the bench. I mean, he's not going to be pleased. His agent might say something or whatever, but honestly, that would be positive for me because it seems like every time um, Bale gets annoyed... Like we right see there. Alpha Bale, we see Alpha Bale explode, right? Like last season, he just wasn't happy with his with his position in the squad, and he comes on and he wins us the Champions League final. Like I'm cool with that. I'm cool with Bale being a little pissed and him coming on and feeling like he has a point to prove because he hasn't been great. Um, I honestly didn't think this A bar game was a game for Lucas Vasquez when we're being pressed so much and we need players to come deeper and such. I, I think it was more of a game for Isco, but. There's sort of a point there, but Asensio, Asensio was, he, he's not as bad as people were saying. He wasn't great, but he wasn't that bad. And honestly, like Lucas Vasquez started over him. So I don't know if you can say why is Asensio starting all the time because he, he he's just factually not. I think there's more of a point with, with Garrett Bale. Yeah. No, I, th- I think if I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the idea of giving Bale some time off. I don't know when that is. I don't think it's going to be against Roma midweek for sure, but... Certainly, like if you if you just tell him like, hey, just just remember like you have some competition in this team, and he does. I mean, like you you could theoretically go Isco and Asensio, you know, like you, there's 
there's ways to do it. I think at the beginning of the season, we thought it was unthinkable because he was scoring goals and there wasn't much shot curation outside of him um, unless Mariano played. And so we thought like it'd be crazy. You can't bench Bale because who else is going to score the goals? I mean, at this point, I don't think it would be a, a crazy idea. Even if it's for just a couple games to see what his reaction would be. Right, I do it just to make him angry and get Alpha yeah. Bill back because because we need that when we're not playing well, and this is just a theme with Real Madrid. Like, I mean, I'm not convincing our entire history, but at least our modern history is that we've had tons of periods like this, but we've always had some star player to kind of tide us over and get us to that point where we we kind of come together and we go on a run of results. And Benzema did it a little bit the last couple of games, but I'm not confident at all that that's going to continue. I, I personally think that was more of just, you know, one of his small purple patches that he tends to have, as we've seen over the past couple of seasons, that makes us think he's back and then he goes back on his slump. If there's one guy that has to that has to tide us over, it has to be Garrett Bale. So I would, I at this point, I don't see any other way other than, other than to get him a little mad and make it, Make him think that he has a point to prove again. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with that, actually. Um, you know, I, I've been reticent to say it because I think that, frankly, Bale needs a better, you know, a motivator a little bit. But uh, maybe that doesn't only have to come from the coach. I mean, as... Um, Mimo, as you said, uh, you know, he talked a little bit about how Ronaldo motivates people. I mean, maybe Bale needs someone on the squad to work with him on his, you know, getting him up to up to his level and in, in terms of preparation and motivation. And and some people just need that. And it's I'm 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 willing to entertain that. But if he doesn't have that on the squad right now then maybe the best way to, to motivate him is by sitting him a little bit and, and seeing how he responds. And, you know, he's been such a dynamic player getting like, I don't know, 30 minutes of game time in the past. Why not try it again? I mean, this team needs, I think, radical solutions to some of its problems. And playing with stuff like this should not be off the table, just like it wasn't off the table last season or in previous years. So... Um, Dennis Lindblom asks us, uh, okay, I'm so mad right now. I did not like the first half, so I missed 10 minutes of the other half, and now we're down 3 nothing against Ibar. Um, and we call it Ibar. It's actually Ibar, but whatever. I knew these, um, that those four wins didn't, didn't prove anything. Our players are just dead, man. It's the lineup that made this. I love Varane and Asensio, but they've been asked this season, and I'm for real. Javi has shown us better things this season. Um, well, the Javi sample size I, uh, is really small, but extremely small. And and like I would keep Varane's name out of your mouth if you're going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I think with Varane, Varane too, like dark. we didn't really talk about it, but I think he was probably one of the more encouraging defenders like in a vacuum in this game until he made that mistake on the third right. goal. Except for the third goal, yeah. I thought, look, Varane... He completely he, fell asleep Abar's, on the third goal. Right, Abar's strategy, and we didn't mention this as much, their offensive strategy was to be direct and play 
direct passes into the channels and work their way up the pitch and really test the aerial capabilities of our defenders. Varane won the most aerial duels. He won eight aerial duels. And Ramos was the one who actually missed the aerial duel on on the last goal. Um, Varane was also suspect on that goal. But it was really the only main mistake I saw Varane make, whereas Ramos gave the ball away. More than a couple of times, Varane had a stronger passing accuracy. I, I mean, I'm not going to argue he's had a strong season. This is not the same Varane we saw last season that has gotten got him to the Ballon d'Or podium, or at least um, that's what people um, are predicting. Um, but yeah, Varane is not really a guy I'd single out for this game. Yeah. Um I think that if Bale benching Bale's on the table, I think benching putting Asensio back to the bench is also should be on the table, frankly. Um, not because either of them, you know. I just I think that, that Madrid that the that Solari that really where the hell is going to do this need to have answers to the the questions that the the results have been posing. And yesterday's game is the type of game where you need to have radical answers because you can't ha- look at a game like this. And yeah, you don't want to overreact, but you also have seen the way Madrid have played over the last couple of years. And this is a symptom of that game of that, of the, of that times. And if you're going to, I mean, the way that if Madrid is going to answer those questions by firing its manager, instead of letting him, you know, try to implement a system and try to carry out a project, then the, the, the new manager had better, be able to uh, rethink the way that they'd previously done stuff. And so let's see. I, I hope that we, we start seeing some different solutions and maybe creative solutions to these problems because uh, this ain't it. It's just not it, Chief. So. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um. I think that's basically all we have time for today. Um, we'll be back midweek. I mean, we have other stuff. Um, you guys have a new video coming out, right? Yeah, yeah on this it, game. Well, it will be a tactical review. So in case um, you didn't get all the tactical breakdown you wanted on this game from this pod, we got a video coming out. It should be out tomorrow um, evening. I'm just kind of waiting on Nagib to get me, like, some of the images that we need and then I'll slap it together tomorrow. Already kind of working on it now, but yeah. Cool. Um, Kian, um, you have shows coming out, um, doing your Lone Tracker show um, and uh, and a Castilla report? Possibly. To, I don't know if Sam's going to join us tomorrow, but Matt and I, Matt, no, sorry, Tuesday, Matt and I will do a Lone Tracker pod for our patrons. So if you're not in on that, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Very interesting this week after um, Chelsea versus uh, Tottenham. Fascinating match. I'm sure you guys are going to talk about um, yeah. some, a number of very intriguing storylines to follow out there. So um, look out for that. And then we'll be back on Wednesday with our um, midweek show. We should um, do patron shoutouts too. Do it. All right. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid for the 10th time um, is where you go to pledge, support the show, get different awards, get access to bonus shows, loan tracker, midweek shows, um, Champions League, post-game shows, all that. Um, shout out to these $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So 
Shout out to Red Bat, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefani, Sajid Reyes, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Mark Rady, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Raghav Reddy, Oluapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Madidisco, San Francisco Bay Area, Kathryn Fagundo, Shanmuha Manta, Zoran Bosnchich, Sue Ayala, Rafael Servia, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Carolina Reyes, and Daniel Smith. Woohoo! Awesome. Love wow. you guys. Thank you, you all so much. You all cool. We'll be back soon. Um, until this week. Ala Madrid. Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. It's hard to be healthy when you don't get breakfast. It's hard to recover from open heart surgery without heat. It's hard to get well when you sleep on the street. It's hard to take care of a baby with untreated depression. Health goes beyond the hospital. At Providence St. Joseph Health, we believe health is a human right. See what we are doing to advocate for the vulnerable and invest in health for all at future.psjhealth.org.